0: So we've been looking, First Thessalonians chapter one, we should be wrapping this one up today, but in, in this chapter, we've been seeing some of the evidences, right? We, Paul is looking at these believers who are in Thessalonica. They have made a profession of faith. And and let me just take a time out really fast. We see this a lot in our country. A lot of people want to make some kind of profession. A lot of people want to say, yeah, I entered into a relationship. But Paul here is saying, I'm not so concerned about what you say you did. I'm excited because of what you are. He's excited because of what they've become. He has been able, in these Thessalonians' lives, they have been confirming what they say they believe by their lives. And this is an exciting time. It's, it's discouraging. It can be disheartening when you pour into somebody and they're all, everything's good while you're right there with them, but you give it a year and they're, just, they're gone. They're doing their own thing. They're back serving the world. That's discouraging. And Paul is letting them know, I'm excited about what you're doing. I'm excited about how God's been working. So what I want to do is just review very quickly with you the, that point three. And this is, point three is where we started looking at the evidences of their regeneration. There should be evidences in my life that says I am a follower of Jesus. If there are no evidences, if, I am, if I'm just like anybody else outside of the church, I've got a spiritual problem. There's something that's not right. So we should have evidences. And these are the ones that we've seen so far. I'm not going to take a lot of time on these. Faith will result in works. That came from verse 3. Our first three evidences were in verse 3. Remember without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, your patience of hope. Faith will result in works. If there are no spiritual works coming out of my life... During the week, and this, this, is, this doesn't count, as far as, for what we're talking about, I'm not talking about coming to church. If there are no spiritual Christ-honoring activities happening in my life, I'm not showing Jesus in my life. And I've got a problem that I need to shore up. I need to get right with my Lord. Faith will result in works. In your application statement we have there, true salvation will always be accompanied by a desire to follow Jesus. It may ebb and wane. It may be stronger at times than at other times, but if you are a follower of Jesus, it's going to be evident. There will be that desire. Second, a resolute labor from love. And that, that the wording that we had looked at in, in this verse and the way that the way that those words are, are constructed, it's that idea of there's just effort being poured out. There is a desire. There is a passion. To want to love. And that is both loving God, and when you love God, you're going to love others. Those two are going to go hand in hand. There will be that that strong desire to love. And the statement there we had, we must selflessly follow Jesus, and that will result in sacrificially loving others. Third one, an expectation for Jesus' return. And that one's going to come back in our passage today. He's going to, he's going to hit on that one again. That... that uh, the return, the waiting for God, is, that is not the sit back and wait. Something's going to happen, yeah, one day, way in the future, I'm just kind of waiting, no big deal, do my own thing. This is an ex, the word is an expectation. A confident expectation that something is coming. And we looked at some examples of this. I'm not going to go through them all again, but there should be a passion. And application statement, if you want to be more passionate about following Jesus... Keep intentionally thinking on the gospel. If we don't have our minds focused on Jesus, what he's done, what he expects, what he is doing in us, we're going to wane. We're going we're, we're to veer off the path that we should be on. Then we look at verse number five. The gospel received is right. Paul knew the message that he brought there in verse five. He knew his message was pure. He knew that God had given him this message, and that was exactly what he was preaching, and he knew that it was coming in the power of the Holy Spirit in verse 5. He knew that God blesses his word. This is a side thing, but uh, we'll take a break from this in just a second. I'll come back to it. Um, I was listening to a a clip uh, last night. This guy was mentioning, he's uh, he's a pastor or... I don't know what his, his role actually is, but he's got some good material. Um, but he made this simple comment. We call this, and it is, the Word of God. Think about what that says. This is the Word of God. This is what God has spoken to us. This is, this is His message. And that's a challenge for me. As I preach this, I don't want to step down from preaching this book and have my Lord, just bear with me when I say it this way, but I don't want to have the Lord looking at me and saying, I didn't say that. That wasn't what I said. That, that, That was not what was in that text. I want to be accurate to this book. And as you and I look into this book, we need to have that desire, because this book is right. We need to have a desire and a passion to follow this book. Is that what God said? And I'm going to suggest to you, I can't think of too many variations. There may be a couple, but I can't, and I'm not remembering them. Most of the time that people have had gripes or issues, it's not because of what the book says. It's because of what I feel, and it's not my way. And that's a problem. God is very, we need to take this very seriously and think about this. This is His Word. It's what He has for us. We've got to want it. We should be passionate about that. Okay, Paul knew that this message was right. And your application statement there, point D, let's show that we believe the gospel is the power of God and the salvation by proclaiming it boldly. And then the next one, lifestyles will reflect Jesus. The lifestyle will reflect Jesus. They became followers. They, and that was a two-way street. If you remember, as we looked at that, it's not just, yeah, they followed. We need to be as Paul wanted to be. He, we, wanted to, we need to give an example that's worthy of following, that's worthy of imitating. Let you follow me as I follow Jesus. That needs to be our passion. And then we need to get along as well. Follow him. Your application statement there, following Jesus will affect every area of our lives because it, and cause total satisfaction. And then point F. They were a role model for other believers. That's what discipleship is all about. People knew, the churches around, other believers knew these people are serious about serving Jesus. That's their passion. They want to serve Him. They're not about themselves. They're about Jesus Christ. That's what we need to be. I'm not worried about other people recognizing that all, that, that'll that happen. That's fine. I'm not, that's, our passion needs to be, I need to follow Jesus. If that's not our passion, I'm just you, know, you can kind of write off a lot of what I'm saying and go home, because if that's not your passion, you're, you're not following Him. You've got a spiritual problem. We need to follow him. Uh, application statement, we're all examples. The question is, are you reflecting Jesus? Or are you reflecting you? And that brings us to where we're at today. Verse number 7 is where we stopped last time. Verse 7 says, So that you were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. So that's where we see that they were being good examples, good role models to the people around them. In that Macedonia, Achaia, their town, their country, and then Achaia is extending it even further. That's like 350 miles away without the cars, and they're being an example to churches down there. These people are serious-minded about following Jesus. And today, in these last few verses, Paul is going to point to some specific areas where they were being this role model in verse 7 to those around them both saved and unsaved now these characteristics that we're going to look at and I just want to remind us of this these are not suggestions these are not positive events that happened in somebody's life and it's just it's a good thing These things are necessary. These things, these characteristics we're going to be looking at are demanded in the lives of followers of Jesus. These are not optional. So we need to take it that way. My goal as we go through these verses is that we be challenged to follow their example, but more importantly, we need to repent. And we're going to see that very clearly. We need to repent where we are actively resisting the conviction of the Spirit of God. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll look at this new text. Father, thank you for your goodness. Lord, I thank you that you you are in control. I thank you that you delight to work in your people. And Lord, I, I ask that you would do that this morning. Lord, would you please continue the work you've started in us, I pray that you would open our eyes to where we are clinging to other things other than you. Help us to be submissive to your Spirit's leading in our lives. Help us, Lord, to understand your word and to take it as your word. Lord, I ask for your help as I preach. Help my words to be accurate. Please help me not to be a distraction. And I pray that you would be glorified in some way by our efforts here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse number eight. Point G is we need to reach out wherever you can. This is what these believers were doing. They were reaching out wherever they could. They were examples, verse seven. For here's how you were an example. The reason you were an example was because from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place that your faith to God were to spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. They were an example because they were sounding out the gospel. I don't know how many times I've heard these words, and I'm not saying they're necessarily all wrong, but these words are what I've heard a lot. We talk about, let's let our lights shine for Jesus by the way we live. I'm not arguing that that, that we that. We, we need to have a good example. We need to have a life that shows that Jesus is doing something. That is a true statement as far as that goes, but that must be accompanied by an active verbal testimony for Jesus. People do not get saved by seeing that Rick is a nice guy. People are not, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. It's not going to be just because I have a lifestyle. Even though I, have to have, I need this lifestyle. But there must be, verse 8, a sounding out. There must be a trumpeting. That's what this word is. It's the heralding, the trumpeting of the Word of God. And the tense of this word is continual. It's not that you do it once and you go on about your way. We continually give out the Word over and over. It shouldn't be something we tire of. It's part of our daily life. That is what he was saying, you Thessalonians are doing this. This is part of your life. Here's what was going on. They wouldn't be quiet. They just kept opening their mouths about Jesus. They had to talk about this, this Jesus, this gospel. They kept going after it. It didn't matter if they were at home. There's the Macedonia. It didn't matter if they were traveling. There's Eurekaia. It didn't matter where they were, what they were doing. They were trumpeting. And if you've got in your mind a picture of a young person learning a trumpet and it sounds really disgusting, just block it out. That's not it. It's this loud, clear, ringing tone. It was very bold. These believers had no intention of keeping the truth of Jesus to themselves. It was too precious to them. Have you ever had something that was precious to you? And I'm not talking about Christ at this point. I see it. I mean, I watch it in here. you got kids. you got grandkids. What do you want to do? Look at this picture. Look at this. We want to show pictures. We want to talk about these grandkids. We want to talk about these little ones. Why? They're precious to us. I've done the same thing. I don't know how many times I've shown a picture of this little thing on my shoulders, grinning ear to ear, and I think it's wonderful. Why? Because it's precious. When Jesus is precious to us, we will share Him. We will share what is is precious to us. Maybe you've heard this statement. Well, my salvation is a personal thing. My salvation is a personal thing. Is that a true statement? I'm going to say yes, it is. It is a true statement that it's personal. I had to meet with Jesus. It was a one-on-one where He dealt with me. And in that sense, yes, it's personal. But a silent faith, I think it was Spurgeon that said this, a silent faith, a silent faith, come on back, come on back, we're good, we're good. A silent faith is a questionable grace. A silent faith is a questionable grace. If you are not willing to share your faith, Spurgeon was saying it's questionable whether you ever entered into it or not. A silent faith is a questionable grace. When we have no desire to further the cause of Jesus, you've got to question, am I even in the cause of Jesus? Spreading the gospel is our job. Spreading the gospel is the responsibility of every follower of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, it's a privilege. Think about that. We get the privilege in our weakness, in our, as much as we're going to blow it and mess up and just get our tongues tied and not be able to verbalize things the way we want to, God chooses to use weak things like us. It's a privilege that we can do this. Can you imagine going to a company and working for that company, and they say, look, here's your job. And you show up, and you may do it for a day or two, and then you decide, you know, I don't like this job. This is hard. So you stop. What's that company going to do? I hope they'll fire you. I really do. God doesn't fire us I am so grateful that God doesn't fire me when I mess up when I choose to sin when I choose not to follow him but I'll you what he does do he can sure put me under conviction and he can let me know where I'm failing him and encourage me and do whatever it takes to get my focus back where it needs to be because we have a good God we need to do our jobs And notice, too, how it spread here, not only in Macedonia. You remember when the apostles, when Jesus told them, I want you to take my word to, where's the first place they were to take it? Jerusalem, and then Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. So what did it do? It just kept broadening. Start at home and just keep on going. That's what they did. They started right there at Jerusalem. Same here. They were in Thessalonica. They went to Macedonia, the region around. They went to Achaia, the next region. And in every place, your faith to God were to spread abroad. It's the same pattern. It's the same pattern for you and me. As we we follow Jesus, we're going to impact those around us. And it's just going to keep on growing. Because we're going to have a passion. If we are following Jesus, we will have that passion. Now, these guys, I'll say in some ways, they had an advantage. You remember that they're in Thessalonica, and we had talked about that town. That town had roughly a quarter, according to history, a quarter of a million people in one town back in that day. That's huge. That town was on the, remember that Ignatian Way, that Roman road that was their east-west main corridor? They had all these people constantly traveling. They had all of these these opportunities given to them where they could spread the gospel. But with those opportunities, you know what came along with them? Persecution. Tons and tons of persecution. They had sailors coming into their town. And they're no different than the, the image we have of them today. It was a bad place. They had persecution. They had a lot of opposition to their ministry. Now, we live in a little town. Now, here, what's our, you know, we, got a, we have a problem here, too. Everybody knows your business. Everybody in the little towns know what's going on in everybody else's life, and there's a lot of the yakking, and that can be hard. Here's, here's the point. The location doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you are, big, small, it just makes no difference. We need to have a love for our Lord. And we need to have a love for other people. And that's what's going to make the difference. If we'll follow Jesus, I don't care where you are. He can use us. And that's what He desires to do, is to use us. Think about this. We're looking at the Apostle Paul. This guy has been held up on a pedestal for 2,000 years. And there were people around these Thessalonians that he couldn't reach. The Thessalonians had to reach him. It was their circle of influence, not his circle of influence. He reached them, now they need to go do their job. It's no different with us. There are people that you are never going to see that I do. And there's people that you're going to see that I will never touch their path. We need to do our job. We need to have a passion to take the Word of God, the very words of God, and accurately give them to those that we rub shoulders with. God has ordained this, that we be involved in this process of spreading the gospel. That's our job. Your application statement. Let's actively bring to mind what Jesus did or has done for us and then purpose to make and take the opportunities to make much of Him. We must do this. He is worthy of us striving, Second Corinthians 5, 9, to live lives that are pleasing to Him. Point H, repentance will continually happen repentance will continually happen. Verse 9, For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. So they themselves, these people from verse number 8, who had been um, affected, who noticed the Thessalonians, these people who were being impacted by the Thessalonians... They're the ones who are showing this. And we'll get to the rest of that. They're the ones he's talking about. Now remember, at this point, Paul is most likely writing this book from Corinth. Thessalonica was way up here on this inlet. About 350 miles away down in Corinth is Paul. And Paul is saying, these people that keep coming down this way from you, they keep testifying about what's going on in your life. He was running into people who were going through this major city and making their way down to Him. And He says, These people show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you. These people show us. And the tense again, regularly. He's hearing what's going on in their lives. He's regularly hearing it. And this manner of entering in, literally, quality of entrance... By the witness of the Thessalonians, by what they were doing, by what they were saying, these people that they're witnessing to, they're coming down and it was in talking to Paul and it's a confirmation to Paul that their ministry, that Paul's ministry he had with those people, that it was good. It was received. It was effective. Paul didn't have to go back and talk to the Thessalonians and and hear them say something like, oh, Paul, you were a blessing to us. We're so thankful for you. He didn't have to hear from them. He's hearing it from people who are being impacted by them. These people were coming through Thessalonica, and again, it wasn't that these Thessalonians are nice people. These people are serving Jesus. These people won't be quiet about this Jesus. So let's let's bring this home. Think back to the people, the person, persons that had an influence in your life to bring you, point you to Jesus Christ. Think about these people who, who influenced you. Just, I, 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 just the human side of it, just stick with me for that for a minute. The people who influenced you and helped you. If they were hearing news from the people who you hang around, not from you, if they hear from the people that you're rubbing shoulders with, what's going to be the report? Is the report, you know, Rick is such a nice guy sometimes. He can, you know, he's just, he's just a, a good person. I enjoy his company. Is that it? Or, or, or what I want him to hear is kind of like what these guys are hearing. This guy's wanting to follow Jesus. This guy keeps talking about Jesus. This guy wants to serve Jesus. What's the report back going to be? And we determine this. We determine it by our everyday lives. I don't want to be known as just a nice guy. I want to be known as a follower of my Lord. And that doesn't happen by accident. Now, this, this is not meant to be a let's get down on everybody time. I'm not, my, my goal is not to just beat us up. Because I get it. We're going to blow it. We're going to have times, you know, I'm not representing Jesus the way I need to. I understand this. My goal with this is that this should be a wake-up call. Because every one of us sitting in this room, we need to be more serious about representing Jesus. We need to be much more serious about how we love and represent and proclaim our Lord. He's the one that's important. It's not about us. And notice the last part of this verse. These people, they're proclaiming, they're showing what manner of entering in you had. Again, here's what they're specifically noting. How you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. How you turned. Now we the, the word we use so often for turned, repentance. How you turn from one thing, turn to another, you repented. This is a voluntary act. This is something that we do in response to the gospel. God works in us, we agree with what he says, we push off one, we go towards him That is what repentance is talking about. And again, the wording here is continual. This is supposed to be a lifestyle. This isn't something you do when you get saved and then you're good for life. We continually, over and over, repent. And it's not just a mental acknowledgement. It's not just saying, okay, I'll I'll go along with that. I'm fine, yeah, this is bad, this is good, I get it. Repentance impacts how you and I live it changes us it makes a difference in what we're passionate about notice into that verse they served one of the, the 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 outcomes of repentance is that you'll first of all serve the living and true God that word serve we would know it as bondslave slavery's been talked about a lot in our culture well that's the word we have here it's a person who is under obligation they have not just under an obligation but they have a desire it's a voluntary obligation where they have a desire to permanently serve the other person the master They have that passion. They are consumed with that service. That's the word we have for bond slave. And that is exactly what we're called to do. We are called. See, Jesus didn't say, okay, I'm going to take you out of slavery and just give you freedom. And he didn't say, I'm going to take away all your freedom. I'm going to put you in slavery. What Jesus said was, I'm going to take you out of bondage to a bad master, and I'm going to put you in bondage to me. I'm a good master. My burden is light, it is easy, it fits well. That's what He's given us. He's taken us out of a bad bondage and put put us into a good bondage and whether we like it or not, we're in bondage for all of our lives. We are in bondage to something or to someone. Jesus is giving us the freedom of going to Him. But we're still in bondage to Him. He called us. To go to Him where the burden is light. But don't, don't, don't miss the truth that He still called us to serve. He has called us to be bond slaves to Him. It's about Him, not about us. I, I, I glanced over one couple of words in this verse. How you turn to God from idols. From idols. Some of those people in Thessalonia, Thessalonica, they were literally serving idols. Roman gods were they, had, they probably had a wood, piece of wood carved up. They probably had stone. They had literal idols that some of them they turned from, these workless dead things. They turned from those and they exchanged it for, into that verse, the living and true God. That truth, the genuine God, the trustworthy God, the real deal. They turned from the bad, they turned to the good. But to do that, they had to push away that allegiance. And that's a word I really want you to take home as you look at this idea of idols. They turned their allegiance from the idol and they gave their allegiance to Jesus. That's what salvation is. Salvation is us making Him Lord in our lives, giving our allegiance to Him. That's what they were doing. See, putting our trust in Jesus isn't just being sorry for our sins. You need to be sorry for your sins. You need to pray a prayer so you don't go to hell. Sorry, but that, that, that's not it. It is, I need to call on Jesus as Lord of my life. It is me giving him me. It's receiving him. John 1.12, as Savior, there needs to be this, using the repentance example, a decisive break. I choose to leave everything and serve him. This is when salvation is coming into people's lives. You and I, as we come to Christ, there will be that moment where, yes, we make an initial turn, we give Him our allegiance, but after that, there is a continual desire in true believers to crucify the flesh, to continually put off the flesh, put off the lusts. That's what the church today is supposed to be about. Us exhorting one another. Us coming alongside each other. Us helping each other to walk in this way. We should be continually striving to be holy as God is holy. Are you ever going to reach that high bar? In this life, no you're not. But I'll tell you what. The only reason that I don't is because I choose not to. I have, my flesh has been crucified with Jesus. I don't understand how that worked. But every time I sin, I choose it. I want it. It's because I say, you know what, Jesus? I don't believe you, that this will make me happy. This is what will satisfy me. This is what's going to glorify you. It's not about you. It's about me. And I want this, so I'm going to go get it. That's what happens every time I sin. Every time I foster those thoughts, Mike mentioned that in in Sunday school, that bring every thought captive. Every time I choose not to do that, I'm choosing. I want it. I still remember the little. I just remember this: the little magnets. You put them on your refrigerator. We had one of those growing up, and it was this. I forgot what it was, but it said, "The devil made me do it. The devil made me do nothing. He has no power over me. He's powerful. I tell you what. He's tricky. He's a deceiver. He's an accuser, but he has no power to make me sin. None. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world." So I choose to follow that. We, I want to be careful how I say that. We're told to be holy as he is holy. I would say I have the power to do it, but not in my flesh. And I need to respond to his spirit. I got off on a tangent. So what does this look like? If I'm going to follow Jesus, if I'm going to be holy, I'm going to suggest to you it's not going to come as I take these big leaps and become like super Christian every day. It comes as I make these little baby steps. And every time Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, says, Rick, you need to do this, I say, okay, you're right. I'm wrong. I need to follow you. This is your word. This is what you have said. I need to line up with this and not make this line up with me. I need to follow you. It's the little baby steps that we need to take. Every, I can't think of an example where this has not been the case. Every time I have worked with somebody who is having some major issues, the major issues weren't really the major issues. It's all these little small steps. They just kept adding up and they kept giving in to them. If you just deal with the baby steps, you're going to follow Jesus. That's what we need to do. We need to say yes to him and obey. Your application statement, as the Spirit of God convicts and challenges us, let's purpose to continually give him our allegiance and submit to him regardless. Regar- and I put that word in there intentionally. We've got to submit regardless. I don't care how you feel. I really don't. When it comes to this, I care how you feel. I want, you to, I want you to be happy. I want you to follow Jesus, regardless of how you feel, regardless of what you think. We follow Jesus. It's about Him. He doesn't deserve any less, and that's got to be our passion. If nothing else, it's just that appreciation for His love to us. Last thing, resol- there will be a resolve to live for Jesus. Verse number 10. There's to be a real resolve to live for Jesus. Now, notice he said, verse 9, how you turn to God from idols to, number 1, serve the living and true God. Number 2, verse 10, to wait for His Son from heaven, whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So we're to turn from God now to wait for His Son Heaven. The word wait. Again, not a, I'm just going to wait for a while. I'm just going to, you know, wait it out. I remember watching somebody one time, uh, they were at a job, they were typed out an email, sent the email, and then they literally leaned back in their chair and crossed their arms and watched their screen. And they waited. That's not how emails work. I mean, I, I, half the time you send me an email, I'm not going to see it for a while. They were waiting. That's not this word. This word, this this waiting, is that confident expectation. The key in there, expectant. There's an expectancy that's happening. It's that sustained eagerness. That's how we wait for Jesus. It's expecting Jesus to come back at any moment. It is an attitude. And that attitude will affect your lifestyle. It will. And if it's not then you don't have that attitude. You're not confidently expecting Jesus. I read this, this little blurb, and I'll just read it quick. An expectant looking motivates enlightened living. Expectant looking motivates enlightened living. So how do we know if we are properly, actively waiting for Jesus? How do you know you're doing it? When we're waiting for Him, It will affect how you live for the positive. It will affect how we live when we're waiting on him. We will live holy lives. We will represent him. I will be trying to be prepared to meet him. It will affect everything. James 2.18, faith without works is dead. You can't say you're exercising faith in Jesus when the works aren't there. It will affect how we live. Listen, I struggle with this one. This is a hard one for me. What I end up doing way too often is I just get totally preoccupied with living life. And it doesn't matter what it is. It could be literally doing good things. Preparing a message. I get preoccupied with living life. I get preoccupied with things of the church. I get preoccupied with people. A lot of times, I get preoccupied just preparing for the future that I may never see. Setting aside, trying to make sure that 401k, that 403b, let's make sure that's where I want it to be. I may not be there. I get preoccupied with just trying a lot of times just to be comfortable. I don't like being stressed. I like comfort. And and, and you, you didn't know this, you should want me to be comfortable because I'm special. I get preoccupied with this stuff. I get preoccupied just wanting to please me and make me happy. That is not how I want to be when Jesus comes back. I want to be following him. I want to be preoccupied with furthering his kingdom, not my kingdom. This is hard for me. My mind just goes to me so often. The proof of whether I believe that Jesus could come at any moment, which he could, there is nothing holding him back right now. He can come at any point in time. The proof of whether I believe that is how I'm living in those moments. When I get, I get sidetracked with just petty nonsense, that is what we have around us today. A bunch of petty nonsense. That just sidetracks us, and shame on me for getting sidetracked with this stuff. Now I brought the example a while back. I think it may have been last week, week before. About you know, you leave the dogs, and they don't think you're coming back soon, and they just make messes. But if they think you're around the corner, they can be the best little angels in the world. But when they don't think you're coming back quick, they just do what They they do what dogs do. And yeah, it's a pain. But aren't we that way? When we get our focus off of Jesus coming back soon, we just do what dogs do. We do what we do. It's all about us. And we could. you, you, you take that example anywhere you want to take it, but you've got... What are you going to be doing if you're preparing for a marriage? And you're expecting this day coming up... You know what, you don't just go out and do your own thing. You're preparing. If you've got a boss coming in and there's gonna be a you're gonna have some kind of presentation, you're preparing. If you're defending an area in a war and you know the generals come and just hold tight and keep fighting. You'll do it. If you know, no, I think he's right over that hill. He's coming soon. Let's fight. You use the example you want to use. It's going to change how we live if we are confidently expecting someone to come. The point is, our waiting for Jesus, us eagerly expecting His arrival, should majorly affect how I live. It should affect everything in my day-to-day life, not just church. Too often, it doesn't have this effect in us, okay? It doesn't have this effect. So what do we do? What do I do when that's not happening? I'm believing He's coming, but I'm not having this effect. Well, verse number 9, again, He says, turn from idols. I don't know what you're clinging to. I know some of the things I cling to. But we need to turn from those things we're clinging to, and we need to cling to Jesus. Clinging to anything and clinging to Jesus, they just don't go together. You can't. Jesus is very clear that you don't serve God and mammon. You're going to hate one, you're going to love the other, you're going to cling to one, despise the other. They're going to rip you in two when you're trying to hold to the stuff of this world. We need to turn, we need to repent. If anything has an allegiance to, uh, to, in our lives over Jesus. We need to repent of that. And we do that really by getting back to the basics. It's not taking, remember, those big steps. It's us making little steps. Maybe starting with something like this. God, I need you, and this is more precious to me right now. Take this, take this burden, take this passion, and give me a passion for you. Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. I want this. You ever heard people pray, and and, and they'll finish like this, if it be your will. We need to pray in the will of God, right? Okay, let me tell you something. This is the will of God for your life. You want to know what it is? I'm giving it to you. It is God's will that you follow Him wholeheartedly. And when you and I go before Him in prayer saying, God, give me this. I want it. You are praying in a way that glorifies Him and it is His will. He answers these prayers. So pray that. Ask Him. Give you this passion. Spend meaningful time with Him. I don't recall ever counseling someone when I said, how's your time with the Lord been? What's your time in His Word like? When they've got issues going on in their lives, usually they're not in the book. Take that baby step. Get in to the Word of God. Ask Him to help you understand it. We need to take these steps and stay focused on Him. We need to focus our lives on jesus why why should i do this well let's go back to our verse 10 because of who he is and what he's done we need to wait for his son from heaven this is god come in the flesh this is not just some fellow that was in history who did some nice things this is literally god come in the flesh We need to remember who He is. It matters. It says here, whom He raised from the dead. Now you could go, we're not going to take the time to do this. You go through your New Testament, you will see all three members of the Trinity involved in the resurrection of Jesus. The point being, Jesus is raised. Jesus isn't in that grave. Jesus is alive. He beat death. Ben, don't do that. He is no mere man. He is God. And we He deserves our allegiance. We need to give that to Him. He beat death. He's alive. He's coming back. And Paul is encouraging them, walk worthy because of this. Walk in a manner pleasing. But it doesn't stop there whom He raised from the dead, even Jesus, and notice what Jesus did, which delivered us from the wrath to come. If you have received Jesus, He delivered you. If you've received Him as Lord, as Savior of your life, you have been snatched out of danger. You have a relationship with the God of glory. And the the, the word here, It is a present tense. You'll continually be delivered. It just keeps happening. That gets back to what we talked about a few minutes ago. Sin does not have power over you. It can influence. It can push. There can be the temptation. There is temptation. But you can choose when you are a follower of Jesus whether you're going to yield or not. You have to yield the sin for it to win. See, we have a relationship with Jesus now. I, I, I reject when people talk about you need to be saved so that you can go to heaven one day. My salvation is not one day. My salvation is now. I have it now. And it should affect me now. Well, I get to go to heaven one day. That's an awesome benefit. Okay, I get it. I want it, but it affects me now. And that's what we live for. We have that relationship now, so we need to live for Him now. This is the one that we've been and we are to be expectantly, anxiously waiting for. We should be anticipating His arrival just like these Thessalonians were. And this should affect how you and I live life. Your application statement. Expectant looking. I gave you this earlier. Expectant looking motivates enlightened living. When we love the Lord, we will be desiring to please him with our lives. He's doing these things though. All these things we just we've looked at this over several weeks, these Thessalonians doing all these things, other right things. I'm gonna say this doesn't impress God. God's holy. We're not. We're just plain tainted. We've got issues. God's not impressed by our our good deeds. It doesn't give us a relationship with Him when we have the good deeds. We come to Jesus through placing our dependence on His finished work. It's what He did on that cross in our place to pay the sin debt that, that we should have suffered. He took that for us. That's when we come to Christ. Like these Thessalonians, we need to turn to God from idols. That has to happen. We need to give our allegiance to Him to become His follower. Once this relationship has been entered into, we've got to remember, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying that for what I'm, I'm looking, most people in this room, We need to remember who it is that owns us. Because you're owned. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. You don't have that freedom anymore. You are owned. And we need to keep calling on him to help us to live lives that he's going to be honored by. It's not a one-time event. It must be that minute-by-minute lifestyle. Let's stand for a moment. If you've never become a follower of Jesus, you need to turn from whatever it is that you're trusting in or whatever it is that you're giving your allegiance to, and you need to give your allegiance to Jesus. You need to make Him Lord. You need to follow Him. If you'd like to know more about this, we'd love to help you. Contact us. Come talk to me. Christian, you and I must live with that expectancy of His coming. We need to live with that in the forefront of our minds that we will answer before Him. It's got to be intentional. It doesn't happen by accident. But I'll tell you what, as we do it, it'll change your life. It'll change your whole outlook. you do business with God, it's Bethany Place.